We welcome you this morning as uh, we continue our study of Romans, and we welcome our KFU listening audience. And I want you to know we're going to finish Romans today. We don't have that much left. And uh, then next week we will start Colossians. Okay? So let's just review what we talked about last week. Uh, Paul was reviewing what he had done, where he had been, and that he did not want to preach the gospel where it had already been proclaimed, but he wanted to proclaim it to people who have never heard. And so he talked about how he had preached that gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and then he sketched out what he wanted to do from there which was move farther west, visit Rome, and have Rome become his uh, new center of operations as he moved farther west, that he would have a place there and that also he would have a, a support base there to continue his missionary work. He wanted to do that as soon as he was finished with the offering. He was collecting an offering for the saints in Jerusalem, and he was tracing his steps back through some of the areas where he had been to gather offerings to take them to Jerusalem to the saints who were experiencing a famine and poverty in Jerusalem. So he had everything sketched out the way he'd like to do it. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about what happened. Before we do, however, as he closes chapter 15, look at verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So he is beseeching them to pray for him. And then he tells them what he wants them to pray for him. To strive together, okay, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. In other words, he knows there's trouble in Judea. And he wants them to pray that he will be accepted there, that his ministry will be accepted, and that he will be protected. So now we want to pause and see what happened because we have the account in Acts chapter 21, beginning at verse 17. Acts 21, verse 17, and we'll see what actually happened. This is at the end of his third missionary journey. He has collected the offering. When we had come to Jerusalem, 
the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. So that was one of the apostles' prayers, that the ministry that they had done would be gladly received by those in Jerusalem. This passage does not expressly state that. This is the passage that's closest to telling us this is when he delivered the offering that he had gathered. There's no verse that specifically says he gave them the offering. But we believe that when he met with them in Jerusalem, he brought them the offering And there they were very receptive, and they were also very glad to hear about all the ministry that had been done among the Gentiles by the Apostle Paul. So they gladly received that. But then there's a switch. Okay? They did glorify God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. So there are false rumors being spread in Judea and Jerusalem about the Apostle Paul, that he was teaching people to ignore the law of Moses. And you've got to remember that at this point, the Jews who had converted to Christianity, it was still a struggle to change their lives and their culture and their way of living. All their lives they had offered sacrifices. All their lives they had obeyed dietary rules. That's the way they grew up. And now as they convert to Christianity, they're going through a lot of changes. They're hearing a lot of new things. And so there were many of them that did believe in Jesus Christ, but they also kept obeying many of the laws. Okay? They kept obeying them. It was just hard not to. So they would get very upset if somebody said, just ignore it. You don't need this. Now, Paul indeed said, don't force the Jewish laws on the Gentiles. They don't have to become Jews before 
they become Christians. You know how things get blown out of proportion. So Paul's trying to walk this tightrope, but everything he says is interpreted one way or another by those hearing it. Called politics. Okay? We see it every day on the news. Things, people say things, and they're totally blown out of context. And so that's what's happening. So they warn Paul, there's trouble here. There's trouble here. And ultimately, they prescribe some things for him to do. He's to go into the temple. He's going to take, make a vow. He's going to go in there with others who have, have uh, made a vow. Well, what happens is ultimately he's recognized in the temple. And he is arrested. You read on in chapter 21. In fact, for the rest of the book of Acts, from chapter 21 to 28, Paul is either under house arrest or in prison. The whole book. So when we go back up and look at what he prayed, he prayed he'd be received gladly in his work in Jerusalem, which he was, but he was not delivered from trouble. There was trouble. And it's just a reminder that even if you're the Apostle Paul, you don't always get your way when you pray. Didn't always happen. God is going to answer prayer in accord with his will for you and what is best for your eternal good. Paul ultimately got to Rome, but not the way he thought he was. He didn't get on a boat and go himself. He ultimately went there as a prisoner. So he did get there, but not the way he had in mind. All right, so let's go back to Romans here. Chapter 15, chapter 16 now. Now let's review a minute here before we start 16. When we first started back in January, we talked about the fact that we are pretty certain that the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul when he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth. And then, just keep that in mind as we read the first verses of chapter 16. I commend to you our sister, Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kencrea. Kencrea, if you will, is a suburb of Corinth. It's very close to Corinth. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of saints. Welcome her unless so that the implication is she's coming to you. She's coming to you from Corinth. And help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. It is generally believed that this woman is the one who hand-delivered the book of Romans. Paul wrote it in Corinth. 
She was from a suburb of Corinth, and she traveled to Rome to bring him this letter, and they were to welcome her. So she was the delivery means to get the handwritten copy of the book of Romans to Rome from Corinth. So that is why she's mentioned first in the greetings. Okay? She would be very important in this in this chain of events to get them the book Paul had written. Okay? And then we start a list of people here, and we'll go through this. Some of them we know. Some of them we have hints about. Others we know nothing about. Great Prisca and Aquila. This is Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Let's review about Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila were from Rome. They were expelled from Rome, as many Jews were, under Claudius Caesar. There was an, uh, they, he expelled many Jews from Rome. Priscilla and Aquila believed in Christ. They were expelled, and Paul met them in Corinth. Then Priscilla and Aquila traveled with Paul to Ephesus. Okay? With Paul to Ephesus. And that's where the next verse come in, comes in, who risked their necks for my life. We believe that Priscilla and Aquila were probably there at the riot in Ephesus and may have helped Paul save Paul's life. So they're in Ephesus. Now, obviously now they're back in Rome. We believe Claudius Caesar died in 54 AD. All the expulsion orders expired when Claudius died, and many of the Jews moved back to Rome. We think Paul is writing to Priscilla and Aquila, who are now back in Rome. They're back home. Who risked their lives for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Okay? Greet also the church in their house. Okay? In other words, Priscilla and Aquila were probably people of means and actually had church services in their home. Christian church services in their home. Okay. Greet my beloved Eponiatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Well, take that with a grain of salt. The words there don't mean that. It's the who was of the first fruits of Christ in Asia. In other words, he was one of the early converts, not necessarily the first, but one of the first converts. 
but we really don't know anything about him. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. There are so many Marys mentioned in the New Testament, we have no clue who this is. And you couldn't figure it out. That's the way it is. Greet Andronicus and Junia. We believe that's a husband and wife, another husband and wife. Okay? Another husband and wife. But notice what it says about them. My kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. At some point, evidently, they were in prison for their faith also with the Apostle Paul. And they are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. In other words, they came to faith in Christ before Paul did. But we really don't know any more about them that's that's been mentioned here. Greet and Phibolatus, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved, I don't know how, Stachus, I guess. We don't know anything about these three. Nothing. Greet Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Okay, we don't know anything about him. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Now, we believe this guy is dead. He's asking them to greet the household that's still living. Okay, that's what we think is going on here. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Okay? Again, this man may be dead, but the members of the family are still living and he wants them greeted. Then we have three women listed. Greet those workers in the Lord. And notice the, the two names there come from the same root. We believe they're sisters, Trophenia and Trophosa. And greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Okay, so three women, again, we don't know them particularly. And then we come to uh, one we can talk about a little. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Rufus is mentioned one other time in the scriptures. In the chapter 15 of Mark, the account is given of how Jesus was carrying his cross, but then he compelled Cyrus, Simon of Cyrene, to carry his cross for him. The Romans did. Only in the Gospel of Mark does it say that Simon of Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Could it be that this Rufus, his father, carried the cross of Jesus? 
Could this be the same Rufus whose father carried the cross of Jesus? Notice how it says he's chosen in the Lord. Also, his mother is very special. Well, we don't know if it's true or not, but it's such a good story, it ought to be. Okay? Such a good story, it ought to be. Who knows? Spoken like a true what? That's right. The old, the old thing about journalism in Texas is if you know the facts and you know the legend, print the legend. Okay. All right. Now, the rest of these names we know nothing about. We just don't know any of them down through 15. And then 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay. With a holy kiss. That used to be the custom. You know, when we have the, the greeting at the first of the service now, we shake hands or wave. They gave a holy kiss. Okay? Now you get slapped. All right? So it's changed. You get arrested. Arrested. Accused of things. Okay? But that was the custom then. All the churches of Christ greet you. Okay. Now we've got one little doctrinal portion here <coughs> before Paul closes the book. 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. All right. We know that there were false teachers circulating in the areas where Paul had taught. We certainly know this from the book of Galatians because there were those who were coming after Paul saying that Paul didn't know what he was talking about and that you did have to keep the law for salvation. And we're going to see false teachers come up some in Colossians, too. The thing is, we don't think the false teachers had reached Rome yet. Because when there were false teachers there, Paul is very deliberate about dealing with the false teaching within his book. There is nothing about this in the book of Romans except here. So we think what he's doing is simply saying they might come here if they do beware. We don't think they're already there or Paul would have met it at him. But they might be coming, so if they do, avoid them. Now, Contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, there's been a lot of debate about what that doctrine is. Definitely, it has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to teach that you're not saved alone, by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, how far that trickles down to other doctrines, 
There are some people that want to say it applies to every doctrine that's taught in the Christian faith. I think it's hard to make a case for that. Basically, it's dealing with false teachers. And it doesn't mean that just because uh, there are Christians in other denominations that may believe differently on certain doctrines, you can't have anything to do with them. You can't have any fellowship with them. You need to treat them as if they were some kind of false teacher. And that's not what Paul's saying here. Now, Paul is certainly saying if a false teacher comes among you and teaches against salvation by Jesus Christ, faith alone, yes, avoid them. But, fact is, we don't want to push this so far that it, it causes divisions that, should, that, that aren't even good reasons to have divisions. Just because they may conduct their Christian worship service differently than we do does not mean we have to avoid them or treat them as if they were not Christians. So we need to be careful applying this so harshly that it creates divisions where there shouldn't be divisions. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Okay? Now, so... He's just given this warning. If this does happen, avoid teachers of this nature. Avoid teachers of this nature. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Okay? So just a general warning. You maybe you got questions about that comments. But yeah, Dennis. Yeah, and, and see, it's holding the two together. They believe and teach this, we believe and teach this, but we can both believe in Jesus Christ and proclaim Christ to the nations. That's the distinction. It's not to gloss it over, it's not to compromise it, but it's to keep it in proper tension that it's going to allow us to do a lot of things with other Christians, but not some things, okay? So the, the, the danger is to push it too far, and, and, you know, we're Lutherans, and we're not going to have anything to do with anybody else, other Christian denomination or other Christians. That would be to push it too far. Okay? To push it too far. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a careful balance, and we have to we have to many times pay attention and and as to what's going on here. 
Yes. Correct. As opposed to somebody who's... Yes. Bud says it's, it sounds like it's out for those who are seeking their own gain. And there certainly are many out there. I will not name names. I'm on the radio. But there are certainly people that we have questions about their motives of why they're doing this. And that is certainly, and Paul brings up the motive right here. 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This passage goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where the first promise of the gospel is given. And we are told that there would be a bruise to the heel and a bruise to the head. The bruise to the head is a death blow. Christ will deal a death blow to Satan's head. This passage is referring to Genesis 3.15. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Okay, now a few more greetings. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. All these guys are mentioned elsewhere. They were Paul's traveling companions. We know them. Okay. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. We believe that this is the scribe that wrote the letter. Paul dictated it. The scribe wrote it. He's probably a member of the Christian church, convert, and he does this for Paul. Now we got three guys left. Gaius. We know who Gaius is, who is host to me and to the whole church. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we are told the apostle Paul baptized Gaius. He baptized him. And now it sounds like Paul stays in his house. Okay? Paul stays in his house. That's where he's living. And Gaius lives in Corinth. So that's another reason we believe that that's why it was written in Corinth. Erastus, that's even a better story. Erastus, the city treasurer. They have found in Corinth a street. A paved street, and it says... In, in, engraved in the stone, Erastus city, city treasure paid for this street. That's him. Okay? So there's evidence for this one. Evidence for this one. The last one, Quartus, we know nothing about. We know nothing about. All right, now we're ready for the final doxology. I'll tell you a little uh, story about this, 27, 20, 25, 27. When I went to Concordia Seminary in 1975, and I went to my first preaching class, this was the passage assigned for me to write my first sermon. Still remember that. I did write it. I read it a couple of years later, and it, it really stunk. But... <laughs> 
this is what I did write my first sermon on, okay? Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. All right. Able to strengthen you. God is able to strengthen you, but how does he always strengthen us? It's through the word. Through his word. The preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the thing that will give us strength. It will give us strength spiritually to live as the people of God. According to the revelation of the mystery that has been secret for long ages. The mystery that Paul talks about time and again is this. That the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached to the Gentiles. It's not for Jews only. It will be preached to the Gentiles. That mystery is throughout the Old Testament. It's in many, many passages in the Old Testament. People just did not grasp that. It was not on the front burner. And so, as the gospel of Jesus Christ spread and it went to the Gentiles, the mystery was revealed. It has been disclosed now, disclosed through the prophetic writings made known to all nations. So the prophetic writings made this known, that the gospel was for both Jew and Gentile. According to the command of the eternal God, this was his plan. His plan. To bring about the obedience of faith. Let's once again say that, to bring about the Faithful hearing, responsive hearing of faith. The uh, emphasis is not on keeping the law, but on faith. To the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. And there you have the book of Romans. Okay? So it's a powerful book because... Its, its purpose is to explain the basic doctrines of the faith to people in Rome so they're prepared for Paul to arrive so that he can continue his missionary activity to the future, for the future. And it's, it's a basic book. It's a book that Lutherans quote a lot. A lot. And so, there it is. Any questions? Comments? Yeah, but... He talks about the doctrine they have been taught. I expect that he's referring to what he just wrote. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and then if you get back, and, and we can see that, if we go up to Galatians... In the first chapter, Paul says this, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. 
Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema. In other words, let him go to hell. That's what it's saying. So that's how he feels about false teaching, especially when it comes to salvation by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. There's, there's no, he's not going to tolerate false teaching of the gospel. Anything else? Other things? All right, now next week, we're going to start the book of Colossians, okay? We're starting the book of Colossians. We'll do a little introductory work and then get started. And then we will not meet the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend, okay? So next week, and then we'll get started again in December. So we're done a little early today. That's okay. Nobody ever complains about getting out of church early. Well, I've enjoyed it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.